The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you. Simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH. I'm Andy, your host, and today I'm delighted to be with you on Christmas Day with what's become a tradition on the ACH show, and that is Peter's Christmas message. So let's bring up the uh, writer, the producer of the show, and my dear friend, Dr. Peter Hammond. Peter, are you with us? I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And this show is Peter's Christmas Message 2021, the real story of the meaning and miracle of Christmas. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today? Well, a very happy Christmas to all. And I know that some people may have serious reservations about Christmas because there's been a concerted, sustained, uh, widespread assault on Christmas all over and everything from the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, which I often call the Antichrist Lawsuit Union, and others are hellbent on banning nativity scenes and suppressing any public expression of Christian faith. And uh, there's all over the world a lot of pagans who hate Christmas, but incredibly, there's a large number of dedicated, sincere, evangelical, Bible-believing Christians who also are very much adamant against Christmas and that Christmas is pagan. And I I understand and I sympathize, and I've got friends who have that position, Um, but I think it's important for us to have discernment. There's a tremendous need for discernment. We need to study the Word of God daily to see if these things are true. Nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to celebrate the Lord's birth, although we are commanded to remember His death. We also come on to apply the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life. So rather than celebrating humanistic pagan festivals like Halloween, May Day, Workers' Day, Youth Day, Women's Day, Freedom Day, uh, these are all <laughs> holidays that, that are in different countries, including South African America, it certainly seems more appropriate to focus on the essential doctrinal foundations of the faith, such as the incarnation of Christ the atonement of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the authority of Christ, the power of Pentecost, Reformation, and other meaningful events of a Christian calendar. So there's no doubt that our calendars need to be reformed. And there's also no doubt that the world has secularized and paganized and perverted and distorted everything it possibly can, including churches and Christian holidays. But this should not stop us from seeking to disciple our children, and in my case, I now have three grandchildren too, on a thoroughly biblical basis and bring them up in the love and the admonition of the Lord. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. 
we dare not allow ourselves to be distracted into fighting fellow Christians who sincerely try to honor the Lord in all areas of life. We cannot know another person's motives, so let's deal with the big issues and the facts. We're talking about thoroughly Christian festivals, celebrating the incarnation of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the giving of the Holy Spirit and day of Pentecost. These are great and important events in the history of the Christian church and vital doctrines for us to build our lives around. And that is why in the history of the church, Christmas, celebrating the incarnation, Good Friday, celebrating the atonement, Resurrection Sunday, Easter, celebrating the resurrection of Christ, Ascension Day, which is still a public holiday in over 26 countries in the world, by the way, and the giving of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost Sunday, uh, these are five great important events in the history of the church, and they all are built around vital doctrines, which we can build our lives around, and they're very useful for evangelism and very useful for discipleship. So to integrate a Christian calendar in a thoroughly Christian matter, is it's not to celebrate a pagan festival. We must reject the world and apply the Lordship of Christ in a thoroughly biblical way in our lives and our families and our schools. We want to have nothing to do with pagan trappings of secular holidays. What we should celebrate are truths and doctrines of scripture. Christmas is not about Santa Claus. It should be a festival of Christ celebrating the advent of Christ and the incarnation. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the reason for the season. And it's a very powerful message that the greatest, most popular widespread holiday in the history of the world is a holiday that is built around the fact that Jesus Christ came to the earth, that God was born in a manger in Bethlehem, that he is God with us. This is the Son of God, the incarnation of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Uh, and so it is vital that the church has real biblical reformation, back to the Bible reformation and revival also in our calendars. But all too many people thoughtlessly adopt a cultic calendar items like May Day and Halloween and celebrate humanistic holidays like Human Rights Day, Youth Day, Workers' Day, United Nations Day, goodness me. So let us rather celebrate things that are thoroughly Christian, and that involves putting Christ back into Xmas. But you will hear people saying, but Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December, was he? And as a new Christian, I accepted that, that, you know, it's just symbolic date, it's not the real date. But the secularizers commonly defend the de-Christianization of Christmas by noting that we're, we've got a diverse society, we mustn't offend others, we mustn't say Merry Christmas, that might be bad for business, and public Christmas observances might even violate the First Amendment. And, but saying everyone knows begs the question, as saying all scholars agree, or all scientists agree, or all doctors agree, which we find isn't so, because the deep platform, the tens of thousands of doctors and scientists who disagree with the Fauci, Auchi, um, clot shot, uh, New World Order, um, so-called vaccine, and things like this. So this business, everybody knows, and all scholars agree, and all right-thinking people agree, and no one in their right mind would deny that. And well, that's a terminology of propaganda and bullying and intimidation. That's not very helpful. So the crowning blow often is besides everyone knows Jesus was not born in December. Well, all scholars agree. Uh, it defines anyone who doesn't agree as a non-scholar. And so at the risk of flying in the face of collective modern so-called wisdom, I would suggest that there's substantial uh, evidence that Jesus Christ was born in December and on 25th of December. 
So what does the Bible say about the date of Jesus' birth? Luke 2 verse 6 says, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. So we can assume Jesus was a full-term baby born nine months after his conception. Luke 1.26 says the angel Gabriel announced the conception of Jesus to Mary in the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. So Jesus was conceived about six months after John the Baptist was conceived. So when was John the Baptist conceived? Well, that's more difficult, but the scriptures suggest answers. John's father was Zacchaeus, a Levite priest of the course of Abijah. In Luke 1 verse 5, we learn that John's father was Zacchaeus, a Levite of the course of Abijah. So according to 1 Chronicles 24 verse 7 to 19, King David had divided the priests into 24 orders, and these orders took turns serving in the temple for a period of eight days twice a year, separate from the wives and children. And during this, Zacchaeus and the other priests of the course of Abai or Abijah, during the 10th and 24th weeks of the Hebrew year. So the angel of the Lord spoke to Zacchaeus while he executed the priest's office before the Lord in the order of his course. That's in Luke 1 verse 8. That is, while he is performing his service in the temple. Now, after his course was finished, he left the temple, returned to his wife Elizabeth, and we read in Luke 1, 23, 24, John was conceived. Now, if this is after the second course, that is the 24th week of the year, John would have been conceived around September or October, and he would have been born around June or July. Now, Jesus' conception six months later would have been conceived around March or April, and his birth in December or early January. So there's no certainty to this because calendars may have altered somewhat, but based on the scriptural account of Zacchaeus' service in the temple, it's well within the realms of possibility that Jesus was born in December. Now, there's that's the biblical evidence. Now, what about the extra biblical evidence? St. John Chrysostom, who uh, lived from 347 to 407 AD, who is like Augustine is in the Western Church, so... St. Chrysostom is to the Eastern Orthodox Church. He is, uh, St. Chrysostom was the golden mouth. He was the pastor of St. Sophie, the greatest church in the Eastern world in Constantinople. Well, St. John uh, Chrysostom argued strongly for December the 25th birthday because of the course of Zacchaeus's priestly service. He also based his conclusion on the findings of Bishop Julius of Rome and Bishop Cyril of Jerusalem, uh, also a fourth century bishop who had asked Julius to ascertain the date of Jesus' birth from the census documents brought by Titus to Rome after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So Julius then determined the date of Jesus' birth to be the 25th of December. Now remember, these people are a whole lot closer to the events than we are and had access to documents that have since been destroyed uh, in the rampaging jihads of Islam from the 7th century on. So Julius, Cyril, and Chrysostom were not alone on their reliance upon census documents. Justin Martyr, who lived from the year 100 to 165 AD, in a detailed statement of the Christian faith addressed to Emperor Marcus Aurelius stated, Jesus was born in death Bethlehem, as you can ascertain from the registers of the taxing. This you get in um, uh, Justin Martyr's apology um, in, in the first part of it um, on page 34. Likewise, Tertullian, who lived from 160 to 250 AD, wrote, The census of August, Augustus, that most faithful witness of the Lord's nativity, kept in the archives of Rome, and this you find in 
a book for uh, Section 7 of Contra Martium. Now, unfortunately, we don't have access to the census records today, but we do have access to the books Contra Martian, Apology from Justin Martin and others uh, who record their findings on the basis of the census documents. So perhaps the better part of wisdom should have us assume that these church fathers, much closer to the events in question, had access to information that we do not possess and that they knew what they were talking about. Now, some have said Jesus could not have been born December because shepherds did not keep the sheep in the fields past late autumn. Well, in Alfred Edelstein's classic work, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, published in 1883, and I've got this book on my shelf, he cites ancient Jewish sources to the effects that flocks of sheep remain in the open in the hottest days and in the rainy season, in other words, all years round. And, and this is in the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. There's also a special class of Levitical shepherds who kept sacrificial lambs in a field all year round because they were used for sacrifice every month of the year. And they would be in Bethlehem. And winters could be very cold in Palestine, but that varies very greatly. And some Decembers could be very mild. And a recent study of stalagmites and stalactites in caves near Jerusalem strongly suggests the average annual rainfall dropped nearly 50% um, from about 3 feet in 100 AD to about 1.6 feet in 700 AD. So average winter temperatures may have varied as well. If Mary could have given birth to a baby in a Bethlehem stable, then hardy shepherds could have watched the flocks and fields at the same time. So Edistam concludes there's no adequate reason for questioning the historical accuracy of the date 25th of December as the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The objections generally are made on grounds which seem to me historically untenable, in other words, without any historic foundation. So nobody's Christian faith should depend on whether December the 25th is the date of Jesus' birth. And these questions also give us no reason to take Christ out of Christmas. There's got to be out there when you look at it all, the people who lived closer to the events, who specifically studied this matter, had access to census documents and others that we do not have. And so I, for one, am very comfortable with 25 December. And when you also bear in mind that 25 December just happens to be, uh, or it would have been back 2,000 years ago, because there, there's been some shifting, the darkest uh, day of the year, the longest night, the shortest day in the Northern Hemisphere at that time. And so how very interesting uh, that uh, in the time of greatest darkness, a bright light shone. Now, there's no doubt that Christmas is the greatest holiday in the year. It celebrates the birth of the greatest person ever lived. Yet every year there's high profile attacks, numerous high profile attacks on Christmas as the celebration of the birth of Christ. And there's then some insidious attempts to hijack Christmas. Now, one such attempt is seen in many emails that circulate every year concerning the real meaning and origin of the 12 days of Christmas. Now, according to this widely circulated email, from 1558 until 1829, Roman Catholics in England were not permitted to practice their faith. Someone during that era wrote this carol as a catechism song for young Catholics. It has two levels of meaning, the surface meaning plus a hidden meaning known only to members of the church. Each element in the carol is code word for a religious reality which the children could remember. Now, the problem with this theory is that its premise is false. 
Roman Catholics were not persecuted for their faith in England. They wouldn't. They were not forbidden to practice their faith openly. And these dates chosen the most interesting. 1558 is the year when Bloody Mary died and the Catholic persecution of Protestant England came to an end. Mary Tudor was known as Bloody Mary for good reason because she repudiated the religious freedoms which her brother, King Edward VI, had instituted. And Mary passed laws providing for Protestant heretics to be tried in church courts hand over to civilian authorities for execution. Hundreds of church leaders, including the Archbishop of Canterbury, the first Protestant Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, and the most prominent Protestant bishops like Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, they were torturously burned at the stake. Bible translators like John Rogers, hundreds of other Protestants were condemned to be burned at the stake by the Catholic inquisitors under Bloody Mary. Mary even had her 16-year-old cousin, Protestant Lady Jane Grey, beheaded for refusing to renounce a Protestant faith. So the fact of history is that religious persecution in England did not begin in 1558. It ended with the death of Bloody Mary in that year. And when Mary Tudor died 17 November 1558, and her half-sister, the Protestant Elizabeth I, came to the throne, religious freedom was established. So the legend being circulated through the internet, declaring that there was no religious freedom for Roman Catholics in England between 1558 and 1829, is ludicrous. The underlying meaning of the 12 days of Christmas is no doubt true. However, the reason suggested in email is false. There's nothing in the underlying meaning of the 12 days of Christmas that Protestants don't accept and which Roman Catholics could not have openly celebrated during Christmas or any time of year in England. There's nothing particularly unique or seditious or anti-Protestant about the meaning of the message of the 12 days of Christmas. So Protestants in England also worship the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in the Old and New Testament, hold to faith, hope, and love, believe in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the five books of the law, the six days of creation, the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit, the eight Beatitudes, the nine fruits of the Spirit, the ten commands, the eleven faithful disciples, and the twelve points of the Apostles' Creed. There's nothing distinctively Protestant, Roman Catholic about those beliefs. These are beliefs that Catholics, Protestants, and Orthodox alike would all accept. So there's nothing which Protestants would disagree with in the message of the 12 days of Christmas. And a half-truth is more dangerous than a lie. Isaiah 6 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Those who ban the Bible, who burn Bible translators, who persecute Protestants, who suppressed religious freedom, dare to accuse Protestants who introduced religious freedom of the kind of intolerance which they themselves practiced, this is abhorrent. To further suggest that Protestant Christians would reject the Bible for which they were willing to give their lives and the teaching which they faithfully sought to apply to everyday life, this is bearing false witness against one's neighbor. So these people who are forwarding this the real message behind the 12 days of Christmas circular run, um, they need to get the facts. It's inappropriate for those who promoted intolerance and persecution to claim that they had to devise the 12 days of Christmas as a secret way to start teaching their people the forbidden uh, truths like one, Jesus Christ, two, Old New Testament, three, faith, hope, and love, four, the four Gospels of Matthew, five, the five books, and so on. I mean, really and truly, that's what was being taught in the Protestant churches. So it's appropriate that the greatest holiday on calendars worldwide celebrates 
the birth of the greatest person who's ever lived. All charities and missions report, this is the best time of the year for donations. It's quite appropriate that so many acts of charity and good neighborliness and friendship and generosity are expressed during the Christmas season to family, friends, neighbors, and to strangers. The official birthday of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is a very good reason to celebrate. It's time to put Christ back into Xmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. Wise men still seek him. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice, from this time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That is the great verse from Isaiah 9, verse 67. And so what we are celebrating at Christmas is the miraculous birth of Christ. It comes from a miraculous book. The Bible is a supernatural book. The Bible is the greatest book ever written, the first book to ever be printed. It has been translated into more languages, printed more times, read by more people than any other book in the history of the world. The Bible has well over 2,000 specific prophecies that have already been fulfilled in history. There's never been anything in all of history to compare with the Bible's prophecies. And Jesus Christ fulfilled 333 of these prophecies just during his ministry on earth, more than 30 on the day of his crucifixion. In fact, if you look at the prophecies in the Old Testament, I mean, just to summarize it, you can see how it's all fulfilled in Christ. Jesus is the seed of the woman, born of the virgin, Emmanuel, the son of God, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, prophet, priest, and king, eternal judge. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the dumb to sing for joy. He cleansed the leopards. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He taught in parables. At the appointed time, he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. He came suddenly into his temple, cleansing it. He was a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling to the Jews, but he became a light to the Gentiles. He was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, forsaken by his disciples, accused by false witnesses, wounded and bruised, smitten and spat upon, mocked and crucified. Yet he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the eternal judge before whom each one of us will stand. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies. And so we talk about a miraculous book and a miraculous birth. One of those prophecies was the miraculous birth of Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7 verse 14. Sacred scripture records the supernatural birth of Christ. The Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary and the power of the highest overshadowed her. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and told him that that which was conceived Mary was of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the Lord, through his prophet, declaring, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21-23. We're talking about a miraculous birth. 
a miraculous book and a miraculous life. Jesus was the most miraculous person in all of history. He healed the sick. He made the crippled to walk. He could make the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak, the blind to see. He raised the dead. There has never been anyone who taught as Jesus taught. There's never been anyone else who lived a perfect life or who died such an atoning death, taking our sins upon himself. A miraculous book, a miraculous birth, a miraculous life, a miraculous resurrection. His life did not end with his death on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. The tomb of Jesus is empty. Jesus lives today. The miraculous book points to his miraculous birth, which was a prelude to a miraculous life, an atoning death, and a miraculous resurrection from the dead. And it will be a miraculous return. He has promised to return one day to judge the living and the dead. On that day, will he be your savior or your judge? Jesus Christ was not born a prince or an heir to the throne. He's the only one who has ever been born a king. Wise men came from the East asking, where is the one who's been born king? We have come to worship him. King Herod felt that a selfish lifestyle and comfortable political position was threatened by the newborn babe. Gripped by selfishness and a lust for power, King Herod sought to murder the Messiah by massacring all still in the manger in Bethlehem. Everyone loves the birth of a child. Well, almost everyone. But of course, there are some that prefer abortion to birth. Instead of life, they choose death. Most of us find a newborn child cute, and this is one reason why many people, most people, celebrate Christmas. A babe in a manger seems so unthreatening, so harmless. But the scripture goes further than this, declaring, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, this is getting more threatening. This is why Herod declared war in the womb. He saw menace in the manger. But we no longer worship a babe in a cradle. He's the son of God who died on the cross. And the day will come when he will return to this earth wearing a crown of the sovereign Lord of the universe. And we will all stand before his throne and we will have to give an account of our lives. And unless we have turned to God in faith and repentance, we will be eternally condemned. Now, Notice, when the, when the Bible speaks of the government, capital G, as in Isaiah 9, verse 6, it is always speaking about God's sovereign rule. We are unbiblical when we attribute sovereign powers to civil authorities. I'm disturbed by how many people, even Christians who should know better, who put a capital G for government and a small g for gospel, a capital S for state and a small s for saviour. That's pretty seriously bad. That's bad theology, and it's just not accurate or true. This is the message of the manger. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord over all. He is Lord of all and over all aspects of life. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Civil magistrates are God's servant, God's ministers, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. That we read in Romans 13, verse 4. 1 Peter 2, 14 says that governors are sent by him to punish those who do wrong. As Jesus declared to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, you have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus is the ultimate authority. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor. He is all-knowing. He embodies absolute wisdom. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We are lost. He is the way. 
We are deceived. He is the truth. We are dead in our trespasses and Jesus is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He hears our prayers. He guides his people. He is not only wonderful counsel, he's mighty God. He is all-powerful. He is God himself. Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God. He is fully God and fully man. God from God, light from light. An everlasting Father. He is all-powerful. He is God himself. Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God. He is fully God and fully man. And everlasting Father, eternal, from everlasting to everlasting, without beginning and without end. As Father, he is compassionate. He cares and he provides and he protects his children. Prince of Peace. There is no peace without the Prince of Peace. Those politicians who think they can achieve peace without Jesus Christ are deluded. Only in Christ will we experience true and lasting peace with justice. That's true for us as individuals, as families, or as nations. The fact that the United Nations takes a messianic prophecy from Isaiah and puts it outside the UN building in New York. They shall beat their swords into plowshare and neither will they make war with one another. And to attribute that to the United Nations, they cannot even bring peace to Bosnia or Somalia. How are they going to bring peace to the world? Now, there is no peace without the Prince of Peace. So the ultimate victory and triumph of Christ's kingdom is inevitable. Of the increase of his government of peace, there shall be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forth and forevermore. Daniel 2 verse 44 says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms. It will bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is what the Great Commission calls us to do. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There is no authority that is not under Christ. This is what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Martin Luther said, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying for all other wills in opposition to Christ to be frustrated and defeated. When you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're praying for every kingdom in opposition to Christ to be defeated and smashed. As Isaiah 11 verse 9 declares, the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We read in Philippians 2 verse 10 to 11. That means every knee will bow to Christ, including those who who lived their lives in rebellion to him. Joseph Stalin, Muhammad, Mao Zedong, all of them. They will all have to bow. Every knee will have to bow. We either bow today in the day of grace, when forgiveness is freely available, when the doors to heaven are wide open, or we will be forced to bow on the day of judgment, when the door to heaven is firmly closed, when the day of grace is ended. But every knee will bow. The first time Jesus came to this earth, he came as a lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the next time he comes, he will not come as a lamb. Jesus will not return as the savior. When he returns again, he returns as the lion, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the conqueror, as the eternal judge. And so the message of Christmas is not only of the crib, but of the cross. The wood of the crib should remind us of the wood of the cross, and the wood of the Christmas tree should remind us of the wood of the crib and the wood of the cross. Not only the cross, but also the crown. And as Professor Martin Luther, the great German reformer, told us almost 500 years ago, as he 
sought to teach his children about the importance of incarnation. He set up the first Christmas tree and he pointed out that the wood of the tree, it should remind us of the tree of life, which was denied Adam and Eve because of their sin. And that through Christ, the second Adam, the tree of life is restored to man. And the decorations around the tree are symbolic of the fruits of the Spirit. And the gifts around the tree are symbolic of the gifts of the Spirit. And the lights of the tree are symbolic of the fact that Jesus is the light of the world and we're called to be lights for Christ. And the big star on the top of the tree is meant to remind us of the star of Bethlehem that guided the wise men, men there. And uh, the colors of Christmas, green for growth, evergreen, always growing. The gold reminding us of the crown. The red reminding us of the blood of Christ. And so we can use Christmas for evangelism, for witnessing, even with strangers and family and friends and neighbors and uh, friends of ours going to the prisons on Christmas Day, sharing gifts, singing, doing artwork to bring prisoners to Christ. You can go to complete strangers. Uh, we often will go uh, on Christmas Day and take baked uh, cookies and cakes to our local police station. We've gone into our local children's hospital giving a gift out on Christmas Eve to all the children who are going to be there over Christmas and friends have donated nice fluffy animals and uh, children's Bibles and books. And, and we found every ward wide open, very happy to have us coming and visiting, which probably wouldn't be allowed normally. But at Christmas, there's a new openness, a new spirit, almost everywhere around the world, giving us an opportunity to witness for Christ. So why would we want to miss that opportunity? You recognize that a child has been born, but do you recognize that he is Emmanuel, God with us? Do you submit to his government? Do you obey him as Lord of your life? Is he your wonderful counselor? Is he your mighty God? Is he your everlasting father? Is he the prince of peace in your life? If so, rejoice. His government will never end. His kingdom will endure forever. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you so much, Andrew. Back to you. Thank you so much, Peter such important words there on you know such a wonderful day that we look forward to every year and um it's difficult to come up with something to come back to without taking this into um a less glorious uh, subject because of course we know how as you pointed out earlier christmas has been under attack under attack for so many long so, so long and i don't want to give the people that um do that the oxygen um on this uh, wonderful program but i do think it's worth pointing out folks that i firmly believe we will not achieve any redemption without jesus christ and that's why i've repeatedly said that what they did worldwide is to get christ away from the schools get the separation of church and state they did that before they did anything else they did that before their you know, so-called sexual revolutions and the counterculture of the 1960s and all these other bits and pieces. Sure, they had other things in place, the control of the banking and things like that, but it was still not to the level of the controls we have today and the level of effectively being told that uh, we as nations are the righteous ones because we promote all this immorality, whereas the likes of Russia, who have building more Christian churches every week than I believe has been recorded historically, uh, that they're the enemy. And when you look at all these things going on, it's very, very sad to see that we're being represented by such an 
antichrist and ungodly spirit and people when we want to be part of Christ and the godly spirit. But I believe, as Peter said about the, the Lord's Prayer, um, it's so important now, if you want to defeat the evil that is manifesting itself in the world, then you have to do it through Jesus Christ. And I believe that Jesus Christ will not come back unless enough of his people want him to come back. Would you go back somewhere if there was no one there for you? And that is, uh, for example, in the book of um, Hosea, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. And so the knowledge is out there. Uh, people who are listening to this today have been blessed to wake up from what they're taught in the mainstream and be able to seek independent sources such as Peter's and mine and many other good sources out there. And they've broken, broken away from that matrix that tries to control them. And that is such a big step to make. But if you want to take the full journey, the answer is not to go out and try and you know set up rebel groups and then get infiltrated by the authorities and spend you know a hundred years in prison or whatever they pull out some ridiculous sentence for uh, you know liaising with one another in 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 largely a peaceful manner i don't want to go into it but people know where i'm coming from when you look at the likes of the sentences that come out of the us and you know what's been done to protesters out there and they remain in our prayers uh, just under a year ago when they started locking them up for their protest against an election theft it man is not going to defeat this demonic system without jesus christ and so when people say uh, about anything about people in the alternative media that oh they're cowards because they're not calling for people to to raise their arms and and arm themselves and you know go and commit violence and all that well it's too late for that folks so if you look back historically the people that have risen up and we have had situations where tyrannical leaders have tried to impose their will you look at the fall of eastern europe that peter knows more about than most people and uh, they got that you imagine the soviet union back in the 70s and 80s were they building all the christian churches now then but they are now that they got rid of that satanic communism we are now under that satanic communism and unfortunately unlike soviet russia they've got this technocracy on their side they had to rely on soviet russia of people you know ratting out on their neighbors whereas now they know exactly what you're doing on your phone whether it's off or on they can monitor you all sorts of different things you're all communicating electronically they look at all of that so they've got far more power over us than they did over Soviet Russia. And I think, Soviet Union rather, I don't even want to include Russia and Soviet in the same uh, phrase. Yeah. But um, with that in mind, I'm going to hand back to Peter because I'm sure you'll, you'll be able to express this better than I can. Peter, your thoughts? Yes, let's face it. Jesus Christ is the most hated man in the world. And by the world, I'm talking about the United Nations, the world... Uh, in terms of the World Health Organization, uh, Hollywood. You know, when you think of the world's mass media, the lamestream media, big tech, big government, big pharma, big business, they hate Christ. Now, it's amazing. Jesus Christ is loved by hundreds of millions of people worldwide. And there's many millions willing to suffer and die for Christ. So he is the most loved person in the world, and he's the most hated person in the world at the same time. And this is the the thing that, that makes Christmas such a, a paradox because 
in the one side, you can see an awful lot of debauchery and drunkenness and nonsense going on in the name of Christmas, which which is in many cases Xmas, and they're trying to get rid of Christ and trying to supplant him. But you've got not only a hatred for Jesus Christ, as evidenced by the blasphemy industry of Hollywood uh, and the way how uh, education systems try to write him off, they're willing to give all kinds of obeisance to um, the burn, loot, murder crowd and Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius and uh, Mao and Mandela and Marx and Lenin and all of the different idols of this world. But they want to ignore Christ or they want to slander and attack him. So we, we need to bear in mind it takes courage to again assert our Christian faith. And Christmas is a wonderful time to do it because we can remind people of the meaning for the season. This is the reason for the season. And Christmas begins with Christ. And do you remember whose birthday we celebrate? You know, we can ask these questions and challenge people because unfortunately, so many people have, they live as though Christ did not exist. They live as though God does not exist. They live as practical atheists. And unfortunately, this eats into the church. So we need to reclaim heritage. But what magnificent things we have around to point people to Christ. Like, just remind people, have you noticed that our whole calendar's been built around this birthday? I mean, everything, uh, what is this? This is 2021, 2021 what? What's well, 2021 years since the birth of Christ? It's, it's in the year of our Lord, AD. And even the attempt to remove Christ from our dating system into BCE, before the common era, and CE, a common era, which most people don't observe, and I certainly don't observe, because BC and AD stood forever. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it's still recognizing 2021 what? Every time we write the date, even an atheist has to acknowledge the centrality of Christ. His birth split time. He turned the river of the ages uh, out of their course. Uh, Jesus' birth is the hinge of history. We date everything, really, in terms of before Christ and after Christ, whether we want to acknowledge it in word or not. Even the atheists, when they put down their 1917, celebrating the Bolshevik Revolution. 1917 what? <laughs> you know, 1917 in the year of our Lord. And so uh, it's so important to point out, have you noticed that the symbol for hospitals worldwide is a red cross? Not a crescent moon, not a hammer and sickle, uh, not not a, a star, uh, it's it's a red cross. Now, how interesting. In fact, even when you look at the ambulances, what do we see with ambulances? The ambulances have a serpent on a stake, uh, and even the veterinary surgeries have got a serpent on a stake with the V over it for veterinary. And so even paramedic symbols, uh, they all are symbol symbolizing biblical princes, uh, principles, such as uh, when Moses lifted up the serpent on the stake, uh, to symbolize that those people who were being judged by God because of their grumbling and their ungratitude, and God had sent a plague of serpents upon them. But those who looked to the serpent on the, lifted up on a stake, they would be healed of, of the snake bites. And that is, we're told, symbolic in, in John chapter 3 of Christ being lifted up. Uh, and uh, that uh, him, as as Moses lifted up the serpent on on the stake in the wilderness, so Christ will be lifted up and those who look at him will be saved. Now, uh, these symbols in medicine, in health, in universities, the very term uni veritas, university, one truth, uh, the etymology of the word even testifies to the Christian origin of universities. And every university is actually a testimony to Jesus Christ, even if they don't want to acknowledge it today, but 
the irrefutable fact is Jesus Christ is the foundation for everything good and wonderful in our world. The teachings of Christ and the example of Christ and the followers of Christ have brought about every innovation that makes life worth living. Everything from the birth of charity, the world before Christ was a world without hospitals, a world without charity, a world without respect for the sanctity of life. Hospitals were an innovation of Christianity, hence the healing symbol of the cross. The nursing profession, founded by Christians like Florence Nightingale out of devotion for Christ, one of history's greatest movements for humanitarian aid, the International Red Cross, founded by Christians in response to scriptural injunctions to care for the sick and the suffering. Most people may not think of the International Red Cross as Christian, but if you go to the uh, International Committee for the Red Cross headquarters and museum in Geneva, as I have done, the first things you you, uh, trip over as you come into the museum is the Bible of uh, Henry Dunant, who founded uh, the scriptures to love your neighbor, to care for the sick, to um, uh, go and do likewise like the Good Samaritan. And, And these biblical injunctions from the teachings of Christ are right there at the beginning, acknowledging the Christian origins of the International Committee of the Red Cross. And Well, I mean, how much clearer can it be, the Red Cross? Uh, Christians, in response to biblical injunctions, Christians like Dr. Louis Pasteur fueled some of the greatest practical advances in medicine. Louis Pasteur might have saved more lives than any other individual in history through his inventions. And the very idea of being charitable, and this is a Christian innovation, Kindness or benevolence to strangers was unknown before Christ. So the teachings and example of Jesus Christ have inspired the greatest acts of hospitality, self-sacrifice, generosity, and service for the poor, the sick, and needy for over 2,000 years. And this is the kind of thing we need to remind people at Christmas, uh, remind them of do we understand the significance of Christmas and whose birth to be celebrating and why our dating system is all centered around and dated from the birth of Christ as the most significant event to ever happen in time. And slavery was eradicated as a result of the tireless efforts of Christians like William Wilberforce and David Livingston. Respect for life and liberty, fruits of Christianity. Those people who are trying to get away from our Christian roots, do they really want to go back to pre-Christian paganism? Before the coming of Christ, every culture practiced slavery, every culture practiced human sacrifice, even the highly esteemed Greek and Roman civilizations. Child sacrifice was common amongst the pagan religions. The Aztec Empire in Mexico, the Inca Empire in Peru, they engaged in slavery, ritual rapes, mass human sacrifices. Suti, the burning of widows on the funeral pyres of husbands, was common, common practice in Hindu India before missionary William Carey arrived and campaigned against it. And so the positive impact of Jesus Christ in the world cannot be overstated. And we should bring this out at Christmas. Everything from education to human rights, from public health to economic liberty, the things we cherish, the things we take for granted, they can all be traced back to the spiritual and cultural revolution begun by Jesus Christ. And so uh, we need to remind people of our heritage. We need to remind people of the reason for the season. We need to remind uh, people uh, that wise people still seek Christ. And it reminds us of what really matters. And it's so important. The way how Charles Dickens in his Christmas Carol called people back to the family and and, and the very principles of of Christmas being a time for the family and of giving gifts to one another, it all comes from the message of the Holy Family coming to Bethlehem. And there was no room for him in the inn. There's no room for him in the UN these days. 
Uh, but the fact that we give gifts, it's in reminder of the gifts given by the wise men and of the greatest gift ever given, which is Jesus Christ given by God the Father to us. So uh, Christmas is really a wonderful time for holidays. And by the way, we should remind people, do you know where the word holiday comes from? Holy day. Do you know where the term goodbye comes from? It comes from the Middle Ages prayer, God be with you. Hence we, I mean, the very way we spell goodbye, the etymology of the word goodbye is God be with you. If you go to Austria today, the people still greet you with these words, Gruß uh, Gott, or greetings in God. In Switzerland, uh, your greeting is Grutzi, which is an abbreviation of uh, greetings in God, very similar to our English, God be with you. But just to remind people of these foundational biblical principles which have come into all of our Sardian, and if we just got eyes to see, what are some of the greatest architectural masterpieces in our Sardi? Cathedrals, built in honor of Christ, three generations to build the average cathedral. And these architectural masterpieces are just, you know, if we will not praise God, the stones cry out. And the cathedral stone should call us back to an age when our society was more Christ-centered, more God-honoring, and more Christian, more biblical, to call us back to that age, a better age than this prefab, throwaways, disposable, styrofoam generation. And I think that everything that we can see, around, like music, the Christmas carols, Handel's Messiah, ah, oh, magnificent music, some of the best of the best. So the greatest architecture, the greatest art, the greatest uh, literature, the greatest acts of sacrifice in, in history, all of this was inspired by Christ. So this is a season to celebrate. Jesus is the reason for the season. And we should be getting our friends and neighbors and family and strangers to think about these things. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And um, again, uh, people that I follow in the alternative media, and it's my job to look at lots and lots of different people to see what uh, they're talking about to see what their audiences are thinking, to get a flavour of what the opposition to the mainstream evil are, the directions in which they're going. And in recent years, not even in recent years, in the last year or two, uh, people have really started waking up to the power of Jesus Christ. Many people have turned to Jesus Christ. But even those who haven't, I'm seeing more and more the enemy being referred to as satanic. People are seeing that these powers that should not be clearly are evil and they clearly worship evil and they present lies all the time and they use their media to sort of whittle their way around it. I'm not going to touch on this today. You know, I've said to you before, it's something I've, I've come up with recently, have consistency in pointing out their inconsistencies, trip them up with their hypocrisies. And that is how you deal with these people. And don't forget that Jesus Christ, the devil came to him directly to tempt him and he withstood the temptation. So that shows the power of Jesus Christ, that the devil was so desperate to have him as one of his followers rather than the magnificent light and life he went on to become. So Peter, before we go, would you like to please let the audience know where they can... Uh, how they can contact you and where they can find your work. Certainly. My email is peter at frontline.org.za. Peter at frontline.org.za. Website www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Now we have got on 
Our website also PowerPoints, videos, uh, links and articles, including on Christmas and including recent Christmas messages such as the Reformation Society uh, presentation just did last night is on uh, the uh, it was a Christmas carol celebration. And I would strongly recommend uh, at this season, uh, get Handel's Messiah, listen to Handel's Messiah uh, on, on your uh, computer radio. Um, if you can get a chance to watch films like It's a Wonderful Life and uh, particularly Joyous Noel. Joyous Noel was a joint film project made of English, French and German on the Christmas truce of 1914. Absolutely inspiring and just reminding one of a forbidden part of history. Who else but Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, could bring peace and ceasefire uh, at a time of a horrendous world war. And it's such an inspiring story. I've written on it as well. Christmas truce, we've dealt with it in the previous Christmas message as well on ACH. And uh, so uh, you will find uh, all this and, and more links to these as well on the Frontline Mission SA.org website. I'd uh, love to hear from anyone who's interested and like to discuss these things more. And you'll find great leaflets like uh, The Greatest Man Who Ever Lived. It's a leaflet you can freely download and distribute to your friends around this Christmas time. The Greatest Man Ever Lived. It's available as one of our free tracks. I've got about 70 of our leaflets uh, available like this on our Frontline Mission SA.org website. Thank you so much, Andrew, and God bless you and all listeners, and a very Merry Christmas to all. Thank you so much, Peter. And before we go, folks, this um, show will only be available on Peter's website and on achshow.com. That's simply because uh, I don't have a Saturday slot that I broadcast on rents.com or on eurofolkradio.com. So if you do know of people who generally get the shows there, then please pass this on so they don't miss this show go to achshow.com and you will find it there it is of course the christmas peter's christmas message 2021 so i want to thank peter so much for taking the time out to join us for this special show on the most special day of the year christmas day entitled the real story of the meaning and miracle of christmas merry christmas everybody thank you for listening i'll be back with you on monday Until then, folks, bye for now.